Hi, I'm Richie Mackay. And I'm Daily Bolt, and you are listening to The Wrong Bias Podcast. And on today's show, we have Paul Foster, MBE. Great to have Paul on the show. He comes on and we, we dive into a, or delve into a little bit of his um, his past and, and talk about game into the sport and the, the success he's had over the years. Um, we also have a discussion about club membership. We did a bit of a poll recently. Um, so we're just going to recap on some of the results of that. Provide you with some of the um, government updates, where we are with regards to guidelines. Uh, we will have our usual competitions, sponsored by Alex Marshall Sports. Um, unfortunately, Richie's roundup has been furloughed again, and we have our mega successful balls of balls questions at Paul takes, and it's becoming that bad, it's becoming that good. So we have that, and Paul answers his five general knowledge questions while Richie's shaking his head. Right, and here we are again, mate. Show you at Dean. It's our porcelain anniversary. He's me looking like, uh, as you've kindly said, Wurzel Gummidge with me. <laughs> hair that Barry Gibb would be delighted to have. <laughs> I thought it would be nice to say about the last one about Catherine and Lorraine. Probably one of the fastest downloading podcasts, mate, wasn't it? Probably our record, wasn't it? Yeah. Which is, um, you know, seeing a lot considering the Christmas one with Alex. We had a really good competition and that one flew, didn't it? Yeah. Um, but this one, I think we've. Are we around about the 350 in a week? Yeah, oh, it flew off, mate. It went off quicker than the, the toilet rolls in the lockdown. We've had some really nice messages about it. And it was, it was. I think people people laughed at it as much as what we did during the podcast as well, which was nice to hear. Um, so it was great. Local bowls scene, mate, still a bit frustrated, council-wise. For all bowls, England have got the guidelines out. Our local council is still not uh, budging. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I, could, I could accept it to a point, um, you know, maybe maybe a week or two ago, where it was still a lot of unknowns, etc. But I just question now where we've talked about it. There's, there's two councils either side of our own who are allowing people to play balls, but ours aren't, and it's it's coming from the, the head of the council. I, yeah. I'm I'm starting to question it now. Is it down to the coronavirus? Or is it just down to the fact that the work hasn't been? potentially done to to allow them to open i don't know i don't make a i don't mean to make a derogatory comment but the longer it goes on you start to question why it's, it's it is very frustrating come on son and council get your finger out for all i'm not playing same here richie but it's, it's as we said all along you know it's it's for those bowlers who do want to play yeah but each to his own mate and each to his own there's mm-hmm. a lot of people who, who will enjoy going out for a roll-up but it's just too much like a palaver like we've said before and i'll have to die that catch up with another Scottish legend, Paul Foster, MBA. Right, great to have you on the podcast, Paul. Thanks very much for coming on, much appreciated. Yeah, no problem, David. Thanks for having me on. Not a problem at all. With the, with the great association we've got with, with Alex Marshall Sports, we had a chat a few weeks ago and I said it would be nice to have you on as well. And um, you did put a, a few prizes into my spot prize competition a, a few weeks ago as well, which was massively appreciated. So I think it's um, wrong of us not to, to obviously sort of catch up on your career, Paul. And right, you're a, you're a big lad, Paul. I don't know if you were the same when you were younger height wise we're talking about was there any other sports that you were you were particularly looking at or suited to at that time yeah to be honest I actually played uh, football uh, for my local team and I was actually Hibernian and Motherwell, Motherwell were after me and actually did some ligament damage to my ankle I was about, I was about 12 yeah. and my father then said to me about trying bowls and at that time I was like nah it's an old man's game that's not for me and, <laughs> and he kept pestering me and pestering me and I stopped playing football obviously and I just says I'll tell you what I'll give it a go I don't like it that's it done he says right fair enough and I tried it once and I just absolutely loved it and so unfortunately I couldn't do both football and bowls so I had to make a decision and I, I took uh, the bowls and, and it's been very kind to me over the number of years I've played so I, I can't complain and, and I'm glad that's the decision I took Was it a bit gut-wrenching at the time you know obviously a, a good ability in football was that something you, you really wanted to do when you were younger or you know when it happened did you just accept that that's the way it was and, and bowl 
balls just sort of took its place? Yeah, to be honest, David, it was. It was quite a tough decision. But I did start playing balls at 12. I still kept the football on and I was, I was getting a bit of hassle from my coach to say, look, certain training nights and games on a Saturday. And plus the club I was at, um, the bowling club with the junior section, and we're playing games on a Saturday. So I kind of started missing my football, playing the balls. And it was, kind of, it was a hard decision. And you never know what, what could, have, could have happened if I stuck to the football. Here, I might have made it, I might not have. But it was a decision I spoke over with my father um, and he said, look, and plus other people said at the time, they see something in me straight away mm-hmm. in the game of balls. So I was kind of possibly led to playing the balls and I just, I won the junior championship my very first year at the club and I just kicked on from there. So as I say, yeah, it's, we all know balls is not in the same league money-wise as football and, and golf, etc. But that, that, that's the decision I took. And, and to be honest, do I regret it? No, I don't. Question, what are you Paul? Yeah, I was a centre-forward. And my claim to fame, I scored against Celtic um, in the Scottish Cup. And unfortunately, lost 3-2, but at least I scored. Every cloud, mate. You could have ended up signing for Sunderland because we're signing anybody Scottish at the minute. So you could have been playing for us. So <laughs> you probably took the right decision. If you've still got your boots, <laughs> Paul, we'll actually take you now, mate. Probably would. <laughs> well... <laughs> Yeah, there's a few clubs struggling just now, but uh, I think I'm too old for that now. Do you still have a kick about Paul? Or? Yeah, well, I actually play with my son. My son um, plays for, he's 11, he plays for Air United. And, well, as we all know, it's everything stopped just now. And but he, he was training three times a week and playing on a Saturday. He, he's a central defender. So I was practising a lot with him during the week and that. And we've been doing a lot of um, his skills while during this lockdown. So, yeah, I, I still keep involved and try to keep myself fit as, as well as my son Logan. Good stuff. Did you, um, when you obviously went across from football, across to balls, did you get the usual bit of ribbon from your, your football mates at the time? Or did they accept it? Was it was it accepted up in Scotland? To be honest, David, I actually got a quite, a quite hard time about it. My friends I was with kind of didn't alienate. Me. They, they kind of didn't see me as, as, as often as I'd like to see them get out to do guys' things you do at 12 and 13 year old. And I kept in touch with them, and, and when I started getting successful, they came to go back on the scene again, which kind of annoyed me a wee bit because I obviously wasn't successful and I, I don't know what would have happened. But as I say, you move on from those things, and any day I'm not wanting to go back and what was happened. It's, it's my choice, and as I say, I don't regret it. And plus, I made probably even more friends through the bowling. And as I say, it's these things happen in life, and when, when you say to Someday, even kids now do what, do what try bowls, and which is which is the future of our sport. And you, you can understand when kids want to play golf and, and football and other things, and it's hard to get them into the game. But I always try and give them the same chances I got, um, and say, look, try it, and if you like it, you go for it. If you don't, then fair enough, at least you've tried it. But as I say, I've made a lot of friends throughout the world in bowls, including yourself, David. And it's it's great to, that that side of the game, nice social side of the game. But as I say, it's. <laughs> to meet other people out with your own your own area and your own country so yeah it's, it's great that, and as, as you know I love the sport I've been playing for 35 years now and the hunger's still there and um, I just hope things continue and keep playing at a top level It's just so sad in a way Paul that you know we talked about it previously where it's take a very very strong character as a young lad or young girl to, to get over that sort of alienation from friends that you've maybe grown up with and that could be a, it's, a, it's a massive factor on potentially whether they would continue to play or not so it's sad that you know they sort of happens but what's even more sad is that you mentioned there that some of those friends came back when you start to have success and it's a bit sad that we say it quite a lot it's it's like you know people start to accept it more if they see you in the newspaper or they see you on the TV instead of it just being accepted for being a sport yeah I can understand both sides of it David because as I said back back all those years ago when I started playing at 12 people did class the game as an old man's game and they're saying to me why do you want to play balls it's for old men you're 12, 13 playing football loving football and, but as I said I can see both sides of it but as I say if somebody makes a decision you're, you're looking for your friends to stick by and say well mm-hmm. if that's what you want to do then that's fine yeah, you're, we're here for you and good luck in it. but as I say I've made a lot, of, a lot of good friends through the bowling now, and I'm, as I, I'm happy I've done that. And as I say, it's been great to me over the years, and uh, I, I wouldn't change a thing to be honest with you. Great stuff. Anything you want to add to that, Richie? When, when you think you've got five world singles titles, four Commonwealth goals, and you, you'll walk past somebody who probably said, oh, "You're taking up old man's marbles," and who's, who's laughing now? Type of thing, you know. It's, it's it must, you must sort of like if you if you meet any of them now, you, you look and you're, yeah, who's laughing now, mate? Old man's marbles. Yeah, you've had some great success, Paul. Obviously, that sort of um, leads us on to, so you, you, you've obviously started the sport. At what point did you, I mean, when you joined the club, was there any young, any other younger players there at the time? Um, and who, who was sort of your influences when you when you got into the sport? 
But when I, when I first started, David, it was obviously the outdoor um, at my local club, Trude Portland. And that was the very first year they introduced a junior section. And to be honest, I, I knew a few of the guys that joined. I'd, I'd seen them about the town. So that certainly helped. Um, but watching bowling on the, the television, um, obviously uh, watching Richard Corsi certainly inspired me. And I, remember, I still remember to this day saying to myself, one day I just love to be in television playing bowls. Whether I win something or not, I just love to say, well, look, I've been on TV playing bowls. And that, and that was what I, I inspired to and um, gave all my dedication to. And say, when people start telling you how good you are without being big-headed, you you do have to take that on board and obviously without being overconfident you have to work at it and I listened to a lot of people and I did a lot of silly things back then as well but when you're young you do silly things but as I say uh, my father was my biggest influence as well he played county level uh, unfortunately he passed away three years ago but I'm sure I made him proud of the things I've won and as I say if it wasn't for him um, getting me started then I wouldn't be where I am today to be honest without a doubt without a doubt when you won that first junior singles Paul you, could you imagine to go on to the success Success that you've had. I mean, it must be you must be just living the dream. Uh, to be honest, no, I didn't. Um, but we, the junior section was was actually quite um, quite hard. A few of the guys that were guys and girls actually they were in. My sister was there as well, and, and they're all um, pretty good. But when I won, I won the junior section three years in a row, and our main club outdoor let you into the the main section. We were sixteen years of age, and actually won the club championship on my very first year. And then people started talking, and it was actually then I started realising maybe people are right, maybe I can do something in the game, but as you say, you're 16 years of age and you don't want to get too cocky, as you say, but, and then I got my first trial for Scotland outdoor when I was 17, uh, a place called Octorard, and I actually um, played against Richard Corsi, so it was great, I, I didn't get picked, um, which I didn't expect to get picked, and um, people did say to me, look, it's, it's great to get a trial, um, but don't think you'll get in the team, and to be honest, I didn't, but it was just good to get that experience, and then that, that made me kick on to the indoor as well, and, and the following year, uh, I got a trial for Scotland Indoor and I got picked straight away. And then I started believing in myself and my own ability and um, what I could, I could do in the game if I put all the, the right mannerism and the dedication in, in which I did. One of the most recognisable things for yourself, Paul, apart from obviously what you've done in the sport, is obviously your long-flown delivery off the mat. Was that something that you had straight away or is that just came with experience and time? Uh, it's funny you should say that, David, because... No, nobody ever taught me how to throw a ball, stand in the mat, or anything. I just picked up a ball and I, I threw it, and people like, "This is this is some delivery." This, but see, in the day, there is a, there's a few natural deliveries that I've seen. Um, obviously, Richard Corsi's, uh, even Alec Marshall's deliveries, uh, just just about as good as you can get. But at the end of the day. People said to me, are you worried about your delivery? It's where the ball ends up that counts. And I tried to change a couple of things early on in my career. And did it affect me? I wasn't happy about it. So I just went back to square one and say, look, it's better than the devil, you know. Um, just, just keep doing what you're doing. As I say, there's no other thing. There's any such thing. Textbook, perfect delivery. Um, as you know, Dave, there's so many different deliveries out there. People coming off the mat, people staying on the mat. I know you look at the, the Southern Hemisphere guys, and girls, and they're very stationary on the mat. And it's a small step they take, and that's the way they, they teach them over there. And, and as I say, it's, I've not got an issue with that. But as I say, I was never taught. If I was teaching somebody now, I probably wouldn't get up to <laughs> do my delivery. Um, as I say, it's, at the end of the day, it's, it's where the ball finishes with counts. So, so why change something or exactly. fix it that's not broken? Definitely. We mentioned them there. You, you've you've started to obviously rack up some achievements. At what point did the initial partnership with Tati start? How did it come about? And, you know, was it agreed between the two of you or, or were you put into place um, by the Scottish organisation? How did it all amount to, to where you've got to now? I actually approached David Gourley because he was playing with Alex at the time uh, in the World Pairs. And we, I just, I'd lost the World Pairs with Hugh Duff 2001. I mean, managed to win it in 2002. And I think 2003, I lost the first round or second round. And that's just, I actually spoke to David Gourley down in Clenethley when you had the Welsh Open. I said, look, it's by that time Alex and I had become good friends. And I, I did say to David, I said, look, would you have a problem if I approached Alex regarding playing Borough Pairs? As I said, if you did, then I, I wouldn't go and speak to him. And David said straight away, he says, no, Paul, I wouldn't have an issue with that. He, was, he says, the twos would be probably unbeatable if you got together. As you know, how good David Gurley is, he's, he's still at, uh, he's in his 50s now and he's still a top class player. Um, but that just shows you the kind of gentleman David Gurley is. Um, he says, Paul, no, I 
have no an issue. I won't stand in your way. And I still thank him to this day. And I approached Alec and we spoke about it. And Alec, first thing he said was, well, is David okay with it? And, and I said, yeah. I said, it's time for me to move on. And um, he's like, I've not got an issue. And it did take us a couple of years to get going. Um, we probably put too much pressure on ourselves. But um, the first major thing we won was obviously the Commonwealth Games 2006. And then it took us a wee while indoor to win a World Pairs together. I think the first one was 2011. So it took us like seven years to win something indoor. And we won like three in a row. And now we've been in we've been in seven finals, won four, lost three. So we've won World Outdoor Championships together, Commonwealth Games together. Our record speaks, speaks for itself. And I'm just glad I got the opportunity because what helps in our game as well, David, is our friendship. Um, he, he's, he's my best mate. And on the green, you don't, you don't throw a bad ball when you play with Alex. He just tells you, yep, yeah, you'll get it next time. And, and I say the same time, if he, if he thinks a bad ball, but we encourage each other so much um, and for the right reasons. And that's why we've been so successful together. together. And hopefully, hopefully we can continue for a few years yet. That blows me next one out of the, out of the water because I was going to say, we're forever bigging him up all the time. He's been on obviously before and we know what you have done together. So I was going to say, was there, has there ever been a time, we've seen him play so many of those last balls that have, you know, won multiple championships for you two as a pair. Has there been a game where he's had a shot and he's missed it and you've thought, how on earth have you missed that, Alex? <laughs> oh, yeah, find us find us something to put him down for once. To be honest, I've always said that I always back myself as well to play a, a big ball at the right occasion because I always say big balls win your titles. But we'll go back to the two balls we played in Glasgow was just incredible on a hand that nobody had played in the wind in the pouring rain and he played a ball half an inch front half an inch back which is incredible but there's been times and he's especially the backhand runners he's just so good and precise and there's been a couple of times and I'm I'm like well press my tie break Alex got last ball well that's us winning a lot and he's missed it <laughs> and, I, and I felt the same God, how could you miss that but at the end of the day he's, he's only human like the rest of us but exactly. he's got more than he's missed put it that way and, and I can't I can never criticise the guy plus what he's done in the game as well it's just remarkable and to be a part of it and, and our friendship and, and what we've won together is, is just it's hard to explain it's it's just a, an incredible feeling obviously it's going to end one day I know people going about who's been the best player ever played the game you look at Bryant and Alcock you look at Brassie and Peter Bellis and I'd like to think myself and Alex are up there as well with those guys so yeah it's been it's been great to be a part of it Have you ever played the other way around? Uh, yes we have uh, once and uh, that was it and was told <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, the only reason that happened was I can't remember what year it was I think it was 2000 could have been 2010 I think Alex actually pulled out the World Championship indoor um, he'd go out and he was actually in the hospital for the week and at that time the singles was played first uh, in fact it was 2005 because I actually won the singles and Alec came back out of hospital and we played pairs and Alex said look I'll have to lead and I was like what? and I goes well that's fine but we managed to win our first game but we lost in the second game I think we lost to Greg Harlow and Jonathan Ross if my memory serves me right but I'm sure Alex said after that game well did you enjoy your skipping because that's your last <laughs> <laughs> there's one thing I mean it, it shines through Paul you, you see the two of you when you're both competing uh, wherever it is whether it's TV or, or events and you both it just shines out you are a both both as sort of focused and steely-eyed as each other when you're playing you can see it and see the passion for, for wanting to win no surprise that you've got the record that you have together and I think it takes those couple of years together as well because I think you, you hit the nail on the head there's, mm-hmm. there's massive expectation when people see two new players who are at a certain calibre of quality go together because they think it's an automatic win you, you know you put the two of them together and it's, it's going to happen but again what we've discussed in the past and I don't know if it was the same for you two but you've got to learn how each other want to play the game as well because you, you've you maybe had a particular style that you've always played and then you've joined up with Alex who's maybe had his style and it, it takes that little bit of time just to find each other's sort of whereabouts and, and what your strengths and, and sort of weaknesses are um, if there are any of each other's game was, was that the case? Yeah David uh, you've nailed it right in the, uh, hit the nail on the head here yeah definitely um, I would say straight away because I knew how good Alec was and vice versa I didn't think he could play a bad ball and Anytime he, he would he failed to draw a shot or a running ball, and I could maybe maybe showed my emotions too much on the green. And when Europe, when your partner sees that, it doesn't really help. And that's why I think we went wrong the first two or three years, um, especially indoor. But as I say, it's more it's more encouragement now, and we just bounce bounce off each other. And I was just always expecting Alec to, as I say, draw shots all the time, and, and probably he was the same with me. Um, but you're right, what you're saying, it, it did take good two or three years not to get to know each other. It's just the, the more we're talking about the shots, you know, shots I prefer, what to play it and 
we started seeing the, the same shots together. Uh, as I say, but the majority it came down to was encouragement. And as I say, and the good thing as well is it's not just who we play on the green as a pair. It, the last we have off the green as well. And a lot of people, people don't see that. As you mentioned, on, on the green, we look so serious at times because we're out there to do a job. And I've always said to people, don't please don't be critical of how I'm on the green as in how serious I am. Come and see me off the green and I, I'll speak to anybody, have a drink with anybody, have a laugh. And it's always good to get that side of the game as well. And at any time we go to tournaments, I goes, Alex and I are always, we're, we're hanging about with each other and also with other players as well. And I think that helps as well, not just turning up for the World Championships and not really spoke to each other. We have, we room together as well. And I say, I could tell you a few stories, but we'll leave that for <laughs> <after> nine o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's a, it's a real lesson for anybody because um, you know from the the brief times that I've I've done a little bit of management things and I've always said how many times do you come off the green and think to yourselves those little times where you've lost concentration or not focused on the job that you're doing and you've lost a daft two or a daft three or daft four how many times you'd lose games or potentially nearly lose games because of those little lacks of concentration and it's it's not hard to go into a game and give it two hours three hours of 100% focus and concentration I think that's what what some people sometimes misinterpret the thing that you've been sort of a little bit hard or, or miserable or whatever it is on the green but people deal with concentration levels completely different and some people might actually thrive from having a laugh and joking on and that might be the way it gets through the game um, but I think you know a lot of people me included I don't it takes a lot to, to sort of get give it the big one I try to try, keep myself at a level sort of head as much as you can because one other thing that I always find that when you give it that big one and you, you maybe get a 6-1 end your adrenaline's that high and pumping from that one end you lose that focus going at the next end and how many times do you drop a draft 3 or a 4 so that 6 has eventually only became a 2 over the course of 2 ends oh, David definitely that's, um, that's one of the things I've learned um, over the years that as you say, if you get a five or a six, yeah, it's great at the time. But as soon as that end's finished, you have to forget it and focus on the next end. Because just, as you said, you can easily drop a three or four straight away. And I, I, I've done it in years gone by, and I, I still see it. People um, looking about and not focusing. I'm saying it's just it's so easy to switch off. And and, and I have been criticised, as I said, in, in years gone by, and people say, oh, you need to maybe relax when you got on the green. And I, I, if I if I do that, then I I feel as if I'm not getting 100. percent As I say, to me, there's always plenty of time to relax and, and have a laugh when the, the game's finished. But I look at other top sportsmen, especially, I watch Ian Poulter, especially in the Ryder Cup. That man's focus is incredible. And for, for that man to turn and say that the Ryder Cup means more to him than a major, speaks volumes. He's a team, I know he's a team player, but his focus is just incredible. And, and you look at other top sportsmen, Ronald Sullivan, I know he gets a lot of crits. Criticised for the way he plays, and but look how successful he's been. As I say, it's just it's everybody's different. Um, people can be jovial and, and laugh on the green and still perform. But I feel as if I can have a laugh on the green, but my focus is all 100. percent and, and that's as I say, I'm there to do a job. And once the job, once the job's finished, win or lose, then I'm happy to retire for a, a, a little juice of that at the bar. So, <laughs> yeah, what are two light drinks? You've known me for years, and I, I'm not going to change the, the, the way I am on the green. It's to say I've been very successful. One. Why, why change now but as I say the time will come that you start losing more than you win um, but as I say when that time comes in I'll certainly have a, a big decision on my career what I do but as I say I, I'm still enjoying the game as I say, I've been playing for 35 years I'm 47 I don't feel that's old I'm still competing at a high level but the main thing is I'm still enjoying it So moving on from that then, Paul, have you had any sort of laws in the sport over the years? Any regrets, anything like that? Uh, as I say, not getting into it. I've done a few silly things um, in my younger days at the bowling, which I wasn't proud of. But you learn from these things. And you've got to realise, I know problem bowls at the top level, we don't get the recognition that maybe we should, like... The other top sports, your golf and, as I say, snooker and, and football. But you've got to realise when you're at the top of your game, there's all people do recognise you and, and know who you are. And you've got to watch some of the things you do um, and, and how you, you treat other people and, and be around other people. And as I say, I'm always there for, for, the, for the, the kids to try and get them into the game. And as I say, it's one thing I have learned. Um, maybe at times I've been, been too selfish. And, and a lot of people who do support you, People I don't even know, um, 
it's not nice for them to see. They like to see the, the good side of you. And and I feel as if over the last number of years I've done that now. As I say, I, I wasn't proud of myself when I was younger. Um, but I've, I've certainly learned a lot and spoke to people. And I feel as if I've done, done the right thing now. And I, I feel like I've, I've held my, health, my head high. And as I say, I'm glad, glad what I've done in the game. And I'm always here for anybody, um, any tips or questions or even folk who want to try the game to help out. So, as I say, I, <clears throat> one thing that I have been proud of is when I did the team manager for the international team outdoor and under-25s indoor and outdoor because I've always said I want to put something back into the game. And whether, when I do stop competing at the, the high level, who knows what's going to happen. Uh, you look at David Gourley, head coach, just now. Is that something I want to do down the line? I wouldn't say no. Uh, I just feel as if uh, I always want to be a part of bowling. And uh, we all know times are hard regarding sponsorship, etc., for tournaments. Uh, and I, I, I don't want to see that stopping. And so I'd, I'd, I want to be a part of bowls, um, not just on the playing side, but helping out as well for a, another 10, 15, 20 years if I can. And I certainly keep myself fit enough to do that. And I'm just hoping that we can see future stars. You, you'll see them there in England as well, David, and hopefully we can get them through in Scotland as well because he, there's such a, an area of talent about. Um, it's just getting these young guys and girls um, to, to try and commit to the game. As I say, it is difficult, but that's what we're, the top players are here for, to try and help as much as we can. Definitely. And I think, um, you know, we've all... There's times in the sport, and I, and I remember back to when I was... 16, I think it was, and I, I was playing in our county liberty team, which is our national trophy. Um, and at the time, I'd, I'd discovered drink, and so I'd, I'd gone out on the Friday night before the match, I think it was the semi final, and I got absolutely plastered and turned up the next day for the semi final of the trophy. And me, my eyes looked like two pee holes in the snow, and it was identified and turned up on the green, and I had an absolute stinker for probably the worst person that would probably have a stinker for and got dropped for the final. And and that was, you know, held my hands up. I had nothing. I couldn't hide the fact I'd been out. I'd, I'd done something wrong. But have I done it? Have I done it since? I would say probably no. So you've got to, you know, we're not perfect. We're only, we're only human. You've got to, everybody's going to do things wrong at some point in their life or, you know, to a certain, to a certain level. But it was certainly a learning curve for me. And I think any young bowlers out there, to, to think that they're not going to go out and have a few drinks before games or, or be out at three o'clock in the morning clubbing before a big match, whatever it is, it's probably never, ever going to stop them from doing that to a point. But I think it's a massive thing towards actually be making you the player or the competitor that you become. Because once you learn that you can do that anytime, but you cannot win titles or you cannot compete for your country or compete for your county all of the time, then you start to put your sort of where where you're sort of in the list of the priorities of where it is. And, and that was certainly mine. Um, I never did it again. I never went out. And I try to drum that into a lot of our lads. And, and they go down to the national finals. And the first thing they're talking about is where's the nearest pub? And it's like, well, you know, let's, let's get the game out of the way first. Then we can go out anytime and celebrate a win, hopefully. Um, so, I, like I say, I think it builds character, Paul. And, and like I say, I wasn't. I, there was nothing in particular I, I, I knew about or anything. It was um, it was purely just if there'd been anything like that that it sort of um, modelled your your future career, really. Yeah, as you say, I think we've all done it. To be honest, um, as I say, there's a few things that I've done uh, grabbing drink, and it's that I, I was certainly wasn't proud of, and I certainly learned from it. And that's as you say, there's good, the guys are still going to go out there and have a drink, and I'll be fine in the morning, and. You're still you're, you're hungover, and, you, and your drink's still in your system. And you, you think you're unbeatable, but when you start playing and you've got a hangover, and you get dehydrated. <laughs> oh, you start sweating. Oh, and, uh, listen, we've all been there. And, and if you want to be a success in the game, they, these sort of things, as I say, we've all done it and we've all learned from it. But these are the sort of things you have to put aside. This commitment, dedication. The, the bar will always be there when you finish. And as I say, as I say, we've all done things, and 
people know that, that I've done things I'm not proud of regarding alcohol and I was young at times and, and silly. And listen, I put my hands up and, and I said, yeah, totally 100% my fault. Nobody else to blame but me. But I've learned from it. And as I say, I've, I've kicked on again and I've, I've won more titles. And as I say, there'll be plenty of time to have a drink with your, your friends and family, etc. once exactly. this is all done. There's, uh, I think there's probably 95% of the population that if they could turn around and say that they hadn't done anything like that, then I think the lie is. And, and I always think there's one big lesson. <laughs> you sharp, you sharp realise how, how rough you feel when you're hungover, when you're out there and you've been out in the drink and you're six down with the last ball in your hand and you're shaking like a leaf. That's when you sharp door. You've got to get hungover for the next game. Yeah. Been, there, been there, done that and failed. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> Anything you want to add to that, Rich? So, since you've um, took on the under-25s, Paul, has, has there been an occasion where you've sort of like had to pull them in line a little bit? Um, to be honest, Rich, no, the, the guys have been pretty good. <clears throat> they have said, oh, look, what is it we, we can and can't do? And you've got to set a curfew and, look, and you say, look, guys, come on. You, at the end of the day, if you're playing for your country, there's, there's what, another 24 guys out there would love to be in your position to represent um, Scotland. So you, you just try to say to them, look, don't, try and not mess it up, don't do anything silly. Um, and I'll, I'll say to them, look, don't don't waste this opportunity because if you do, it might never come again to you. And grab it with both hands. When you wear that Scotland shirt or the England shirt uh, with David, uh, as he knows, there's nothing prouder. As I say, there's always plenty of time um, to have a laugh, a joke and a few drinks. But... When you pull that shirt on, that, that's your number one priority. It's one Definitely, of the, yeah. The hardest part of a management job is is telling somebody, sorry, son, you're out. Or have you had that? Have you had to do that yet or not? Or uh, yes, I have, and it's horrible. Yeah. Um, I've tried to pass it on to a couple of people, but <laughs> <laughs> delegation. <laughs> I was that's not my job. I'm, I'm just a team manager, but no, it's 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 horrible, and when you, you see their faces and. It, and their face drops and you just feel it putting your arm around and say, look, it's just one of these things and there's nobody goes out to try have a bad game. Um, it's one of these times it's just, but it, it, as you said earlier in the programme, David, everybody's human. You don't know, uh, that, uh, that's the way our sport is, you don't know if you go out there how well you're going to play, if you're going to play well if you're not. And it is a hard, a hard decision to, to try and drop somebody and you've just got to try and encourage them and say, look, you'll get your opportunity again and and that's all you can do to these guys. Um, they, they go away and, and they're disappointed and probably call you all their names under the sun. And <laughs> I've been called a lot of things, but as I say, it's, it's part of the job that I don't like. But if you didn't want to do it, then there's no point taking the job on. It's a great indicator, though, for a manager to see those lads who get dropped or, or young girls who get dropped. It's a great indicator to see how they bounce back from it because if they did bounce back from it and they, they get themselves back in the team... Predominantly, they're probably going to be the ones who are going to win titles in the future because some would potentially spit the dummy out and stuff this. I'm not having any more about it. But you'll get those who will understand it, will be totally disappointed, and it's hard for you to actually tell them. But they'll go away and say, I'm going to go away and make sure this doesn't happen again. So I think it's a great indicator for a manager at the same time, for all it's hard. Oh, yeah, 100%, David. I've seen both sides of it. I've seen, I've, I've, I've spoken to... Uh, the young guys and had to be dropped and you can see in their face how disappointed they are and you can see that, that some of them are not even listening and which that disappoints me <clears throat> but I've seen it on the other side of it as well and, and they're all totally listening to what I'm saying 100% and as you said David they're like well yeah I can understand I didn't play well yeah deserve to be dropped but I will bounce back and I like to hear that and you say these are the guys that will go and win things guys that I've got the other attitude. Well, to me, they won't win anything. Nah, you're right. You're right, and I, I agree with that completely. So, um, just moving for the last part, Paul. Obviously, the future. You'll have been a bit disappointed. You, you managed to to tie down your first appearance in the in the UBC, uh, the Ultimate Bowls Championship. Obviously, COVID put a little bit of a stop to that, so there's been a bit of a delay. But um, that must be something you're really looking forward to. And obviously, going forward, I've got no doubt that you'll be looking to try and Topple that uh, mate of yours, six titles in the World Championship singles as well. Yeah, well, first of all, obviously, the, the World Championships. Look, everybody brings it up. Alex gets six, I've only got five. And look, there's a lot of guys out there that don't have any. 
and it's, 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 honestly, and I really mean this. It's not a competition. If I get six and equal Alec, great. See if I don't, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. And I've spoke to Alec about it as well. He says, look, if he gets seven, great. If he doesn't, he, nobody can take away from a career sport of winning the game. As I say, <laughs> if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. So I'll start to be giving it 100%. You never know what, what the future holds. But regarding the UBC, um, what the, I watched the event, the events last year uh, on the live streaming, and I just said, so I need some of that. That's the job Mark Casey uh, and the rest of the guys have done is, is just incredible. And obviously, speaking to Alex about it, he just said it's the atmosphere during the games is just nothing. It's hard to describe unless you're there. And we all know what the Aussies are like. Um, they're, they're singing and they're cheering and the support is just second to none. And as I say, I'm very, very fortunate. Um, also, through the help of Alex, uh, Deer Park um, got in touch with me and I didn't think anything would happen. I, and I got the email and I'm like, what do I do now? Do I answer this? Or <laughs> I'm just gonna, I started getting a wee bit frightened a wee bit. I'm saying, God, I have to travel to the side of the world again. And I'm saying, well, no, it's something I want. And then when all the, the carry on with the coronavirus came and I actually got the, the email when I was down in Clinefe from internationals um, to say it had been cancelled. And to be honest, I was expecting it. Yeah, disappointed, real disappointed. But as we all know, health comes first. And everybody's life um, has to be top priority. And the bowls will always be there. And fortunate enough, and the UBC is going ahead in December, fingers crossed. Yeah, so all, all three events are going to go ahead in the one week. So it's set a lot of bowling. So hopefully the way things are going just now <clears throat> regarding the coronavirus, then I'll be able to fly in December uh, and, and be a part of the UBC and then part of Deer Park. So something I'm looking forward to, yeah, it should be really good. Fantastic. Great stuff. And look forward to seeing you out there as well uh, and watching you on YouTube, Paul. So that'll be tremendous. Richie, have you got anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I've got three sneaky questions for you, Paul. <laughs> okay. And there'll be more from Paul later in the show. Well, if it's not a turkey, it's his pussy. The show must go on. Definitely. If you give me two seconds, I'm just gonna. I've got a cat meow, and I don't know if you can hear that, Richie. What's oh, going on here, Paul? Davey <laughs> oh, Boat's got a cat on his knee. Cat's trying oh, to get yeah. out of the bedroom, and it's meowing. That would sound great on the podcast, that will. Where's he gone? Where's he gone? It's like Annika Rice. <laughs> <laughs> question about club membership fees I think it was in response to my 10 pound 10 English pound membership fee that I'd be at my club and you got quite a few replies back I'll just rattle through a few of them for you um, there's club down Kent which was 97 pound they will pay it but no green fees there's another one 115 pound 50 pound with 2 pound 50 green fees 67 pound with no fees for roll ups £130 for no green fees, £40 all in and £115 all in. And one of our guests, David Corkill, did point out that Belmont, it's £130 with no green fees. Some huge differences there, wasn't it? I mean, it's, um, I mean certainly, certainly uh, you're, you're probably the, the best one to answer this one. When you, when you see what you're paying at your club and then you see what other, other clubs are charging, one, one of which was about £250 for the yeah. season, I think. And you still, I'm sure you still have to pay for certain things. Yeah. So what did that, what was the thoughts going through your mind? I mean, my club over the last couple of years, Silksworth have, have in, increased and increased to fall in line with potential the council telling us that we're going to be self-maintained. So we're at top sort of £80, which I thought was quite sort of high end yeah. until I saw some of the answers. Uh-huh. Um, so what was your thoughts when you saw it? Well... To be honest, I wouldn't mind paying £100. I wouldn't mind paying £115 if it's a private club, if you've got the facilities. I mean, it's a, our, our club's a council green. We've got no overheads. We maintain around the surrounds of the green. Well, we have got overheads. We pay the council £1,200 to um, to cut the green for us. We basically survive on our on our green fees at £2 a piece, £2 a pop. I mean, last year we took in about three grand. So for a council green, what does a club need the money for? 
Would there be much objection, do you think, if the council did pull the plug and you've got to turn around to your members, then turn around and say, we're going to have to start to pay 80 or £100? No, I mean, I've said it. I, I am. I mean, it's not just something new that I've said. It, I've said it for years. I, in the northeast, Bose has been too cheap for years. I mean, indoors we used to charge at Sunderland. We used to charge a membership for you a fiver. I know we had no overheads again, but all all your income for me comes from your your green face. The the more you use the green, the more money you get in. Yeah. And I I, I think whether you charge eighty pound membership, ten pound membership, if your green gets used. I mean, there's, there's people out there who will use the green six days a week, seven days a week, you know what I mean? There'll be other fellas who probably only use it twice a week. Do you think that's just the North East though, Richie? Do you think um, Bulls in general over the years has been too cheap? If it's a private club, I would expect to pay probably thick end 60, 70, 80 quid. If you've got the facilities, I, I, I ain't got a problem. I mean, you've, like, so we've got one local club up at Derry Lane who take a lot of money into the bar, but they do invest it in the club. In the surroundings, they, they went out and bought one of these irons, and the improvement that it's had on the green is... If we if we had more private clubs up here, I think that that's probably our problem in the North East. We haven't got enough private clubs. I think there were just too many council-based clubs... And that's why the balls up here is so cheap. Yeah, we've we've got you know it's it's awful it's awful to say, and especially in my position, but I've said for a long time, we have got too many clubs in our local area yeah. to be able to sustain the, the the numbers of members that you need that are available to play balls. If yeah. you if you you know if that makes sense, I can I can potentially walk to as probably yourself, Richie, you probably walk to ten. 12 clubs within 40 minutes of leaving your house. Yeah. That's walking. I'm not talking about car here. Yeah? Yeah. You know, maybe an hour. Mm-hmm. And some of them are living on 15 to 20 members. And yeah. just doesn't, it just doesn't make commercial sense, really. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in, in a lot of respects, I'd far rather see five, six really, really strong clubs with great greens. They know to put the money back into the club like Horton Dare Lane have buy the irons, get the greens up, a great standard. And I, for me, I think people would actually enjoy balls a lot more going and being able to play on a on a quality surface. I don't know if you agree with that. Well, I quite agree, yeah. I, I, I think if if there was more private clubs in the northeast, you'd actually have more bowlers because you've got the facilities to attract people in, you've got the bar, you've got, the, you've got like a, a proper club, whereas a council club, you, you turn up, pay your money, Go on, that's it. Lock, pull the shutters down. Private clubs, you can go and have a pint and you socialise. And I, I think that's that's the bit that we miss in, in definitely in Sunderland, I think. Definitely, and it opens it opens up so many more opportunities being a private club as well because there's a lot of funding out there that none of us can get. Yeah. You can maybe get a community chest fund from the council for a thousand pound that maybe gets you some new equipment or whatever it is. But if you were a private club, you can potentially apply for hundreds of thousands from landfill companies, from all kinds of places. Yeah. And you could have your clubhouses built, you could have a bar built, start to generate your own revenue by bringing not just bowlers in, but social members as well. And that's that's how it all evolves for me. I think that's that's the way we've got to look at it. And that's why I always try to say sometimes the balls part of it's the secondary bit. Yeah. You need to get the people through the doors first and get them in there enjoying a pint looking out the window and going, I wonder what that would be like to try. Yeah, it's it's your old favourite scene then, isn't it? Get the hook. Yeah. Get the hook and you get them in. And now it's time for our final part with our chat with Paul Foster, NBA. Yeah, I've got three sneaky questions for you, Paul. (laughs) Okay. First one, 2011 World Championships... You played Alex in the final. £40,000 on the line, a bonus. Come on, did you go 50-50? Can I I phone a friend, Richie? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's the tears myself and Alex. (laughs) Good answer, good answer. The the next one is the Olympics. That must stick in your throat that you you don't get the chance to get an Olympic medal, mate. It, it, It sticks in mind when the likes of golf and tennis... Um, because it's not really their holy grail, is it the gold medal? They've got bigger yeah. things to go for, and I think balls it is the holy grail. Yeah, to be honest, Richie, yeah, it's, it's, it's something uh, that is kind of missing um, from a CV, and yeah, I, 
disappointed as um, Bowles is not part of the Olympics. I cannot understand the, the amount of times I've been asked that question, and I don't know the answer to it. But I know there, there is talk, possibly it, it could be, um, it could come in in um, the Olympics in a, a few years' time. But obviously, I, I'm going to miss out. I'm going to be too old. Um, so yes, that is the only disappointing thing I, I would say in my career that Bowles was has not been part of the Olympics, and myself um, have not been a part of it. Yeah, so. Disappointed that side of it. And finally, I came across a comedy show called Still Game. <laughs> <laughs> now, David might have seen this one, but I've already just got onto it. BBC I play it is. It's tremendous, funny as hell. It's about two Scottish pensioners. One's called Jack and one's called Victor. Now, a little birdie tells me that you, you and Alex seem to be getting ribbed as Jack and Victor. Now, who's, who's Jack and who's Victor? Come on, Paul. Well, yeah, we've, we've had a lot of ribbing about this, and uh, there was talk we were trying to actually go on the show at one point, um, but uh, I have to get this right. I think Jack, um, I have to get this right. Jack, the tall one, and Jack Victor's the tall one. I'll put you down as Jack, actually, and, and Alex down as Victor. Yeah, the wind is out now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and uh, I, yeah, a lot of people have said that it, it, we look like Jack and Victor. And there, was, there was actually quite a big article on it um, before the Glasgow Games. In 2014, and there's a big spread in our local, our national paper, the Daily Record. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was quite funny. And a, a lot of the uh, the local uh, newspapers were getting involved in it as well. And uh, it, was, it was quite funny, it really was. And people kept saying to us, oh, here's Jack and Victor coming on the bowling green. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Listen, we, we, we took it in our stride and, uh, and we laughed it off. And um, there was a wee bit of resemblance there for those two. But it's just a pity. We did speak about it. It would be great to get on the show, but... Obviously, it never happened, and yeah. the show's finished now. But, yeah, I still watch clippings of Still Gaming, and it still makes me laugh oh, to these days. Um, and, really as good. I say, I still picture as yeah. I've watched myself and Alex on the TV. But, yeah, it's great. <laughs> great stuff, Paul. Well, we've got uh, one last thing to do, and that is, I don't know if you've listened to the podcast before, Paul, but Richie loves this bit. It's that bad, it's becoming quite good. So, it's my little five... General knowledge questions. The game's called Balls or Balls. If it's true, it's balls. If it's false, it's balls. Question one. A sneeze is faster than an eye blink. Balls. A shrimp's heart is in its head. Balls. The record for the fastest time to solve a Rubik's Cube one-handed is 37 seconds. Balls. The most expensive car number plate shown just the number one Cost seven point two million pounds. From the ground to the torch, the Statue of Liberty is ninety-three meters high. Bulls. Right. So I nothing, think nothing out of five. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've done all right, actually. So a sneeze is faster than an eye blink. I think. Did you say balls for that? Yes. It's actually balls. So it's um, good start. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it is actually faster. A shrimp's head is in its heart. Uh, sorry, a shrimp's heart is in its head. You did say balls for this one, I think. Yep. That's correct. That's one out of two. The record for the fastest time to solve a Rubik's Cube, one-handed, is 37 seconds. I think you said balls for that, didn't you? That yes. It's actually balls. It's 12.56 seconds. How can you not? How can you not know these things, Bob? That's just funny. <laughs> Most expensive car number in the world, what, 7.2 million with the number one. You said balls for that, that's true. It was bought in the United Arab Emirates. And from the ground to the torch, the Statue of Liberty is 93 metres high. Did you say balls to that one? You said balls to that. Balls, it was balls, mate, it was true. So, so you've so got two out of five. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. all right there. Sorry, Richie's, Richie's just wiped this one out of the board anyway. He's, he's not interested anymore. <laughs> I'll just stick to playing balls, eh? <laughs> So I'll let you do the stats for that, Richie. Told you when it's that bad, it's getting good now. Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. And like I say, sorry we've taken a little bit longer than what we what we said, but it's been great having a chat. Uh, nice to nice to hear in some of the things that I, I certainly didn't know. Um, so really, really much appreciated. Richie, I don't know if you've got anything left to, oh, to add. No, oh, it's great catching up with you, Paul. I've, I've seen you on the telly. It's the first time I've spoken to you, um, and it's been a, a pleasure, mate. And I wish you best of luck. Best of luck, many years to come. Yeah, Richard, David, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure and a privilege being on um, your podcast. And I wish you all the very best in future podcasts, David. It's been great speaking to you and seeing you. 
and uh, wish you all the best as well, mate. Fantastic. Thanks again, Paul. All the best. Take, take care, mate. Take care, buddy. Thanks, mate. Thanks. And it's competition time. As always, thanks very much to Alex Marshall Sports. Uh, the details of the competition, including the prize, will be on our Facebook page. Question for this podcast is, which was Paul Foster MBE's first bowling club when he started playing balls? He did mention it during his chat. Drop us a line, either by email, wrong.bias at hotmail.com, either by message on Facebook or Twitter, or you can just drop us a comment on the post for the podcast. There you go, mate. Show number 18 over and a nice little chat with Mr. Foster, MBE. Absolutely. Thoroughly nice. enjoyed it. Nice to put a, a voice to a face that I've seen on the TV. Comes across as, in, as a canny lad. Probably one of the game's best, to, probably second best. But it'd be controversial if I say second best to Alex. <laughs> uh, probably have, he'll have a wry smile at that one legacy. I think the both is competitive each other, but I don't think there's any competition there with regards to who's got the most medals. I think they're, they're just happy to keep doing what they're doing. And yeah. Uh, like I say, he's, he's certainly bang up there as, as one of the most decorated bowlers of all time, without a doubt. And the government has just announced that we are going down to a metre, social distancing now. Well, how it affects the indoor game is my concern. The biggest concern is the fact that they haven't given the go-ahead for leisure facilities and gyms to open. I don't know whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, Richie. I mean, my initial thoughts were not good. I was thinking that could potentially cause issues for the indoor season. But then, is he looking to see what the outcome of the restaurants and pubs opening first and how that's managed to see how that goes before. And like I said, there might be other things in it as well. It's one of those, it's a game of wait and see and it's only June. Going into July, well, we've got another two months. A lot could happen in two months. So hopefully, just got to keep our fingers crossed and hope that this is just a step-by-step plan to make sure that the one thing everybody wants to happen, the pubs opening and get restaurants, see how that's managed, see how people react to it and then see are they going to be able to, to conduct themselves right in these leisure facilities Exactly. You'd like to think that the indoor clubs are currently putting things in place. And that's that's all the indoor clubs can sort of do at the minute, I, w- I would have thought. You know, the committees has probably had discussions about what is the, the worst sort of case scenario with what guidelines we potentially might have to put in place. Make sure that they are in place, but then when it gets to the point of turns around and says indoor bowling clubs can open, they if a lot of those need to re- be relaxed, what is it? It's just a, maybe a change to a poster here and there or, or whatever. So, yeah, it's, a, it's a, it, as it's been from day one it's just time will tell and we've just got to deal with it as it comes and just watch this space mate isn't it it is and that's what it's been all of the time it's, um, it's tough but as we always say and as Paul said during his interview health comes first and that's the biggest priority just waiting for July the 10th because I've got my appointment to get my hair cut are you going to ask for a long back and sides <laughs> I'm not at the back <laughs> I'm pleased you kind of see us I'm not as <laughs> just wait until she pops out the back and walks back out with a fly more <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be like a fella sitting in the barber's chair with a, a, a mound of hair around him <laughs> you'll either chin so I'll kick in you'll be going what's going on here <laughs> I should be saying hold on two man job this <laughs> cancel all the afternoon appointments <laughs> <laughs> he's only given us a five huh? <laughs> must be a bowler <laughs> <laughs> Aye, great stuff. <laughs> am I? Well, it's been a good one, mate. Great stuff, as always. Uh, as always, folks, take care. We'll see you uh, for show 19. Absolutely. Take care, Rob. Thank you for listening and hope you've enjoyed the show. This has been a dodgy production.